Welcome to Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw, a podcast for empowering and equipping leaders for revival in the greater Philadelphia region and throughout our nation. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we invite you to subscribe, follow us on Facebook, and to check out edcrenshaw.com for free resources to train church leaders today for revival tomorrow. Welcome home for Christmas. Welcome to this first week of Advent. Maybe you don't know what Advent is. Advent is the season in the Christian year, in the church year, where we celebrate the coming of Jesus. And it's related to his first coming and also his second coming. And one of the things we want to do is in this season, raise our expectation for an experience with Jesus. And we desperately need an experience with Jesus. We've come through a hard time these last few years. We need a fresh experience with God. I think in some ways we're still struggling with the impact and the turmoil of the pandemic and the unrest of the last few years. And lots of people right now are worried about inflation and the threat of a recession. And during challenging times, one thing that's very common for people to do is to become nostalgic. And uh, we really are longing for simpler days. Sometimes that nostalgia means that we idealize the past and remember it as it really never was. But there are some good values that we reflect on that are worth remembering. And we see nostalgia really as a trend in Christmas this year. It's a trend in Christmas decorations this year with old-style Christmas ornaments and tinsel making a comeback. And uh, so are flossed Christmas trees. You remember those? And uh, throwback Santa mugs, all these kinds of things that remind us of celebrations of Christmas back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s if we're that old. But uh, now that Thanksgiving is over, guess what? We can legitimately put a focus on decorating for Christmas, making it look like Christmas. And, uh, you know, if you're like my family, I don't know that we, I, I don't know that I could say we go all out for Christmas, but if you look at the amount of space in our basement storage set aside for Christmas decorations, you know, we're pretty serious about decorating for Christmas. So my message for today is a reflection on that old Christmas song. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I wish I could sing it, but you know, I'm not a Bing Crosby or a Michael Buble, but uh, that's a classic Christmas song that celebrates the, the changes, the decorations, the way we make it look and feel like Christmas. And uh, it raises a question. Why do we decorate? Especially as we're becoming nostalgic about it, why do we decorate? And I'll tell you why. It's because of the Garden of Eden. Yes, that's why we decorate for Christmas, because of the Garden of Eden. See, we were created to make this world a better place. We were created in part to help beautify God's creation. And we also decorate for Christmas because it's a part of taking a season of the year that looks pretty bleak 
and making it into something festive, making it into something beautiful. We take a cold, bitter, inhospitable time devoid of the life we associate with spring and summer, and we make it into something really, really special. So here's where decorating for Christmas begins, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. Drop down to Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then moving on to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we see a description of Adam and Eve after their fall. But notice what it says. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. So here are four things that we learn about God's plan from this passage. Number one, we as human beings are essential to God's plan on earth. You are essential to God's plan on earth. Genesis 2.5, just to be reminded, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared because why? There was no one to work the ground. Human beings are not an afterthought. God didn't even bother to create the beauty of the plants and the trees until there was someone to work the ground, someone to take care of the garden. And notice this. This is before our rebellion. This is before the fall. Our work in God's creation is something we were created for. We're integral to God's plan for creation. And he really didn't want to complete it, Without us, we're part of God's plan. Number two, we see from the passage that we read that we were created within a setting of great beauty. God designed us to live in a setting of great beauty. Notice it says about the trees in Genesis 2.9 that they were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Both of those are important. You know, if the garden existed for nothing else than the beauty of God's creation, it would have been worth it. And I think sometimes we have too utilitarian a view of God, you know, and that affects so much about what we believe God for, trust God for, how we see God's nature, His character. God is a God of beauty. He's a God of goodness. He's a God of blessing. He's a God of abundance. He is a wonderful, beautiful God. And so, this garden is a place of great beauty. God didn't just give 
humanity a place to live where our needs were just barely going to be met and where there was no beauty and just stark and plain. No, God created us for beauty. Number three, we were created to make God's creation even more beautiful. <laughs> that, that, that hardly seems possible, but it's true. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You might wonder, why, why would we even need to be doing anything? Well, God has chose us, chosen us for partnership with himself to do great and wonderful and beautiful things. And when you think about a garden, you might have heard the old joke that talks about how the garden looked when God had it all by himself. <laughs> if you've ever seen such a garden, you know, it probably didn't look too, too good, too beautiful. God has designed things so that we get involved with him, with his creation, and we make it a more beautiful place. That's an amazing thing. And, you know, I, I know I need to be reminded of this. Uh, you know, my father-in-law, when he lived with us before he went on to be with the Lord, uh, was in his 90s. And, you know, during the summer, he would look out the window and see me on the lawnmower, mowing the lawn. And, you know, I would come in from mowing the lawn and doing the yard work and the trimming and all the other things I had to be doing. Like, oh, you had a good time, didn't you? And I was like, no, Don, I didn't have a good time. I was mowing the yard. I have to do it because I have to admit I was a little bit of a complainer. I was whining a little bit because I had to take, you know, my one day off a week and use it to do yard work. Didn't like it very much. But, you know, years later, just this past summer, in fact, I was mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden, I had a realization that I ought to be enjoying this. For one, I ought to be thankful that I have a lawn to mow, right? So that's a part of stewardship of something God has entrusted to me, and that's something that's true of all of us, whether we own property or not. God has entrusted something to us, and so you know we ought to be thankful for whatever it is, whether it's through renting or through buying or whatever the case we are thankful to God for that. But not only that, this area for which he's given me a little bit of responsibility, a yard to mow and to trim and all those other kinds of good things, that, that represents an opportunity to work with God to make that little part of creation more beautiful. Now, if you saw my yard and my yard work, you might not think it was very beautiful, but at least I get to work with God to make it more beautiful than it would be if it were just left to grow and become, you know, full of weeds and all that kind of thing. And, and so I started thinking this past summer about, man, I get to work with God to make this a more beautiful place. And not only that, I get to enjoy his presence all the more when, you know, I'm not having to think about other responsibilities and the pressures of life, just work with God and making a little piece of his creation more beautiful. And, you know, that's kind of like the fourth thing we learned from the passage in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and that is that uh, the garden was the place where Adam and Eve really got to meet with God, to enjoy God's presence. You see, in Genesis 3, 8, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
How, how did they know that they were hearing the Lord God? It's because they were familiar with the sound. They had experience of meeting God in this place. And they knew it was God because they had walked with him before in the cool of the day. And I believe that's something that God created us for, to enjoy his presence within the beauty of the creation for which he gave us stewardship, the beauty of creation in which he gives us responsibility. And it's a wonderful, wonderful plan. But as wonderful as the plan was, we human, human beings, we messed it up. We, we rebelled against God. We disobeyed. You might have noticed that in the passage I read that God tells, tells Adam that he can eat from any tree in the garden, but he can't eat from one particular tree. And yet we rebelled. Yet we disobeyed God, trying to attain something that we thought because of the lies of the devil, because that we thought we really needed. We tried to go after being like God using methodologies that were not from God. And as a result, disobeyed God, and we're paying the consequences. We still are. Genesis 3, verse 8, let's read it in context. It says, then the man and his wife, after their rebellion and realizing that they were naked and that now they're afraid of God, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden at the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So you not only have uh, the possibility that Adam and Eve were somewhat alienated from each other, they recognized their nakedness, but they ruined their relationship with God so that instead of fellowship with Him, now they're hiding from God. Go on to verse 17. It says, To Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Because of that, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we see that we messed up our relationship with God. We messed up our relationship with the land itself. And then we lost access to life, real life, the kind of life God had for us. Verse 22 of Genesis 3, And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow, what a loss. Loss of relation with God, loss of connection to the land, loss of access to the tree of life. Wow, what a price. What bleakness. And you know, the winter season reminds us of that loss. As we here in the northern hemisphere experience this season, 
bleak midwinter, as the carol says. Six feet of snow in western New York already this year. Oh, yeah, I can understand why so many people retire to Florida. <laughs> really can. But we were created for something more than bleakness. We were created for something more than painful toil. We were created for something more than thorns and thistles. We were. We were created for the garden. We were created for its beauty. We were created for a purpose, to steward God's creation, to be a partner with God, to be in relationship with God. The kind of relationship that could be characterized as a stroll through the garden with God in the cool of the day. We're missing something. Humanity is missing something. You and I are missing something. And we know in our hearts, we know deep down inside, there's something wrong. There's something missing. And if we don't know scripture, if we don't know God, then, you know, the feeling is something's missing, but we don't know what it is. We don't know what we'll try, we'll, we'll really be able to fill that void. And then we try to fill the void with all kinds of other things. So many of our bad habits, our addictions, our bondages, our idolatries, our greed come from trying to fill that void because we know we were created for something more than we are experiencing in life. And sometimes in our desire to restore and to, to, to fill that void with stuff, we do so in a way that's contrary to God's plan. We do so in a way that continues to damage our relationship with God and to damage our relationship with people, to damage our relationship with creation. And when we try to fill that void with all these other things, it leads to even more alienation from our purpose and from our relationship with God from our relationship with each other. So let me ask you this. Why did God, if we're missing something, why did God not want humanity to be able to just reach out their hand and take from the tree of life and eat it and live forever? I'll tell you why. God didn't want us to live forever in alienation from him. God didn't want us to take hold of eternal life on our terms, because God has better terms. God always has better terms than we can come up with on our own. And our decorations this Christmas remind us of what we were created for. Our decorations are also a celebration of the fact that in our bleak midwinter, when it looks like everything's died, in our time of loss, God has made life, real life, possible for us again. And he's done so through Jesus. And that's not an afterthought either. Here's the promise. Because in the middle of the passage that I just read, I left out a few verses where God was addressing the devil who had tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And God says some things to the devil. He says this in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Of course, that was fulfilled in Jesus. 
Jesus is the offspring of the woman, the offspring who has crushed the head of the devil. He was struck. He died on the cross, but he has overcome the devil on our behalf to bring us eternal life on God's terms. God had that plan of restoration prepared for us from the very moment that we needed it. Our failure did not catch God by surprise. And that's something we celebrate. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So let's get back to the song just a little bit because there's a little biblical lesson that we can get out of this. The song talks about multiple decorations, multiple descriptions of what Christmas looks like. The toys in the stores, the candy canes and silver lanes, the tree in the Grand Hotel and in the park as well. But the chorus concludes with this description, with this statement. But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. Out of all these other decorations, why would the writer of this song say that the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door? I'll tell you why. It's because we have to personalize it. We have to make it our own. We have to make the celebration of Christmas our own. We have to make this reclaiming of our purpose of working with God to make the world a better place, to live in this place of beauty and this wonderful relationship with God. We have to make all that our own. We have to make the carol that we sing in our own heart of greater importance. That means that God's called us to say yes to Jesus. That's how we make Christmas our own, because it's all about Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to really get back to the heart of your desire. That thing that's missing inside can only be filled through Jesus. Would you say yes to him right now? Just pray this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe that Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are on the path to making your world a much better place, and you have just taken hold of eternal life on God's terms. And God is a good God. He is the God of beauty and blessing and abundance. And I want to encourage you in your walk with God. Stay with us. Someone's going to come and share with you some very important next steps. It's so important that you continue to walk out what Jesus has begun in you today. Make this the best Christmas you have ever had. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today for Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and invite you to subscribe to our podcast and check us out at edcrenshaw.com for free resources.